Welcome to the West Steps. The West Steps is a podcast from the Colorado Children's Campaign that explores issues that impact Colorado kids and families. I'm your host, Beza Thedes. Welcome to another episode of the West Steps. We have a full house today and we are continuing our conversation about covering all Coloradans, a very important piece of legislation, this uh, legislative session. And I'm really excited for this unique perspective on it today. And as I said, we have a full house. Erin, since you've been a repeat guest of the West Steps, maybe you could start with intro and then pass it over. Yes. Uh, Hi, I'm Erin Miller. I'm the Vice President of Health Initiatives at the Children's Campaign. I'm a a frequent guest here on the podcast, I guess, a repeat guest. And I do think that almost every time I have at least one kid homesick, and today is no exception. Um, (laughs) So there may be a five-year-old in the background occasionally trying to get some chocolate um, out of the situation. Same. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's whatever. I'm always trying to get chocolate out of this And yeah, so happy to be here. And I will pass it over to Raina. Hi, all. My name is Raina Hetledge. I'm the senior policy manager at Center for Health Progress. Um, First time on here. Really excited to be here and excited to talk more about all of the work we've been doing. Um, And I'll pass it to Raquel. Thanks, Raina. Hey y'all, Raquel Lane Ariano. I'm the policy manager with the Colorado Immigrant Rights Coalition. Also, first time here and honored to, to be sharing about our work. And I will pass it to Lily. Hi, this is Lily Cervantes. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Colorado Antutes Medical Campus. Well, thank you all so much for uh, being here. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, maybe we can start with uh, a, a take on the progress of where uh, Covering All Coloradans currently stand. And uh, what maybe you can tell us about since the last time we talked, which is almost at the beginning of this process, um, what's been happening. And anybody can take this. Yeah, I think it's been really exciting. We just had some big news happen um, really quickly. We had our second floor vote while we were all in our policy committee um, and, you know, a second floor vote on the Senate. And it was over before any of us could actually get in and listen to it because it was just like so quick. They voted and it's past second vote. Um, and so we'll have our final recorded vote tomorrow. Wow, very exciting. That's amazing. Yeah, really excited. And then we will have to go back to the House for a concurrence vote, which would be like the final, final, final vote. Um, because like if, if folks remember, they're like how a bill becomes a law, like the same text has to pass through the, the two separate legislative chambers, the House and the Senate. So this bill's already passed the House. But then to your other question about like, you know, things that have changed over time, um, a, a couple of things. While the bill was still in the House, we... Um, one of the things that happened is that we clarified the breast pump benefit. Uh, we recognized that maybe our language wasn't, it wasn't like clear enough to be what we meant, which was like everyone gets a double electric breast pump before they have their baby, if that's what they want, yeah. without having to go to WIC or to another clinic. And so like we, we added like six sentences to make it like very clear that that's what we wanted to have happen. So that was one thing that changed. 
that was included in the House bill. So that all passed the House chamber like that. Then when we got to the Senate, um, an additional policy was added to eliminate um, CHIP premiums. So premiums are the thing you pay for your health insurance. You know, most people pay them monthly for a CHIP program, which is for folks who make a little bit too much to qualify for Medicaid, but not enough to afford private insurance. Those folks pay a premium too, but it's it's on an annual basis. So it's a little different than like folks with private insurance. Um, but it's still it's like $25 to $75 per kid. It, it's both a financial and an administrative burden. So with the bill in the Senate, we eliminated those premiums. So not just for undocumented folks who gain coverage through this bill, but for anybody who uses CHIP for their health insurance coverage, there won't be that annual premium. But because the bill changed in its second chamber, it has to go. So like it has to pass, as Ray was saying, like it has to pass the final vote in the, in the second chamber tomorrow. And then it has to go like the whole text, the whole complete same bill has to go back to the House for concurrence. And then it will be ready to be signed into law. So I'm hearing two, two final, final votes. So two finals. Um, that's This is very exciting. And, and that uh, uh, premium change, I think, talks about, uh, t- uh, tackles out some of the things that we had talked about in the previous episode about how removing barriers for those who are the furthest away removes barriers for everybody. And I think um, that is, that's very important. And just to backtrack a little, maybe we can touch base on some of the highlights of the bill. What what is this bill doing, and and what what do we see is the benefit for Colorado families, um, and and why is this, uh, for lack of a better word, a big deal? Go for it. I love hosting a podcast with women because they all wait on each other, whereas <laughs> the men who are on the episode never wait for anybody. Uh, very interesting. You know, I'm like, I don't want to take up too much space. I'm like, Raquel hasn't, hasn't said as much yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to jump in. Um, I think of our bill basically like does four major things, but now I think also with the, you know, with the piece of removing um, the fees for CHIP also is another really exciting thing. One of the main things our bill does is it expands access to CHIP and Medicaid and CHIP is the Colorado health plan um, for families and children, but it expands those two programs to pregnant people and undocumented children. Um, So any children ages zero to 18 and once they turn 19, they wouldn't qualify anymore. Um, if they're income eligible. And so folks who qualify for Medicaid and CHIP tend to have um, like pretty low incomes, right? The threshold is incredibly low compared to your, um, you know, what what a family might be bringing in on average in a year. And so that's one of the really exciting pieces um, that I'm really stoked about. Our members at the Coalition for Immigrant Rights have um, really been pushing for that. So that's, I think, a big piece of, of the bill. There's a few other important aspects too. Um, and, and one of those, right, is it's going to create this exciting process, stakeholder process where community members can work with a department and advocate for what resources they want to see provided to parents who uh, and families who have just given birth. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a you know incredibly important piece. Our committee and our policy team worked really hard together to come up with 
language that's going to make sure that's accessible, that those meetings are happening at nighttime, that there's interpretation available, and that the departments can really show that they're doing a lot of effort to make sure people can be at those meetings and share their input and spend that money in ways that will help families. There's uh, the third piece of the bill is expanding an existing survey of birthing parents, which is also a very important piece that that survey currently, right. Um, surveys people who have just given birth in Colorado, but we would be strengthening that by ensuring that they are oversampling black and indigenous populations, because we know that health outcomes for, for those populations are worse, right? Um, mortality rates are higher and also infant mortality. And so we're hoping to be able to collect more data and, and inform future policies with that additional information on those, um, on black and indigenous birthing folks. Mm-hmm. And the last thing uh, that our bill does that's really important is it creates a special enrollment period for pregnancy. So this would be applied to everyone, citizens and non-citizens alike. And and that piece basically allows someone to enroll in in insurance if they don't have coverage once they, um, you know, have a pregnancy. So that becomes a life a qualifying life-changing event that would allow someone to enroll. So kind of a mouthful, but our bill does so many powerful things to make sure that families and children have a really powerful, a really important and healthy start to their lives here in our state. And I can add to that and say that the exciting part for me is that, you know, I think oftentimes as physicians, you want to do what's best for your patient, the person sitting in front of you and your hands are often tied and you're compelled to provide substandard care because of state health policies. And what this bill does is it allows us to treat children and women postpartum with dignity. It allows us to provide them with more options for whatever medical diagnosis they have. Mm. Um, Recent studies have suggested that physicians often face burnout when they're forced to provide substandard care to their patients. And so for me, this, you know, is just extremely exciting because we can actually take care of our patients and um, really push for well-being in this very underserved, often invisible community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, One of the most exciting things about this bill has been the process that led to the bill, um, the steering committee specifically. And it's unique in its nature, and I think it's worth highlighting. So I wonder if you could say a little bit about how it came about and who's involved and what is its goal. Um, tell us a little bit about how it even led to such an incredible progress for um, health and well-being in Colorado. Yeah. Do you want to kick this one off? And I can... Sure. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so... You know, I don't know if folks know, but so Center for Health Progress is our first year running a bill, really excited. And we knew we really wanted to do it in a way that aligned with our values, which is incredibly community centered, um, where, you know, I am not undocumented. If this program, which it looks like it will goes through, right, I don't understand 
all of the challenges and barriers somebody is experiencing who's undocumented. And so I shouldn't be the one making a lot of these decisions. I'm there to be a support. And so with that in mind, we really wanted to create this process where community leaders had the final say and the vote and the voice in making these really tough decisions. And so that led us to bring together a group of 11 community members um, between CERC and CERC Health Progress members to come together, meet at this point weekly almost, um, and make really high-level decisions about the policy. Weekly plus like the obnoxious testing and texting in between meetings that is created by <laughs> yeah, can you please start the survey <laughs> meetings and a lot of a lot of text messages um so who is involved in in the steering committee so i can jump in we have this steering committee i feel like is i've seen a lot of different steering committees but this one is unique because it is literally a hundred percent directly impacted people so Every person on the steering committee is directly impacted by this issue, right, of health access in some way. And we, it's currently, it's um, five members from the Colorado, Colorado Immigrant Rights Coalition. We have different regions. So we have a representative from each part of the state hmm. and uh, six members from Center for Health Progress who also have members, um, you know, in Fort Morgan and Pueblo and in different parts of the state. And so it's a, a pretty, um, representative population in terms of trying to get perspectives from the entire state and also from people who are living the current challenges and pain points of not having access to coverage. Hmm. I think, you know, one of the other things I think it's important to highlight about this, especially as we started talking about the stakeholder process we have in the bill, is how we've created some processes in the steering committee to make it more accessible so we have translation at every meeting. Our meetings are in the evening. Um, and those are things where we, you know, kind of see this being an issue and a barrier for folks when they're trying to, you know, participate in this process and really want to make sure that that was not going to be a barrier. So we have, you know, folks who speak, who are monolingual Spanish speakers interacting in these meetings and making these decisions too. Mm. Mm. And I wonder if you could say a little bit about how these conversations and these decision-making process, because I think often, you know, that's not the easiest, that's the most straightforward way that we've been doing policy, right? This is this is um, centered in the values of equity and tr truly trying to provide a solution for the communities that, that are experiencing the barrier. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that strengthened the policy or if it has slowed down the process. Because I think a lot of the fear we hear in this kind of approach is that it just takes so long. So I wonder if you could share a little bit about your experience in that space. Yeah, I think that's why I wanted to do this was to show that it's really not as hard as I think people think it is. <laughs> it's really accessible. And it's like, we did it, you know, and it worked, I think, really well. And there's things we would change. But, um, you know, Folks are responsive. They're responsive really fast um, and know that these are important decisions that have to be made. And so I think it's it's been better, you know, in ways that even for me as somebody who works in an organization that has community members, there have been times where we've had a conversation as policy folks and I'm like, oh, I think this is the way that we should go. And we go to the steering committee and they're like, no, this doesn't make any sense to us. We don't like this idea at all. <laughs> like we would have made that law <laughs> and it wouldn't have worked for community if we hadn't had people to tell us otherwise. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's like, I think that the challenge is on, it's not in the interacting with the community at all. Like it's because I think folks, they, I mean, they took the responsibility seriously. They've learned this policy deeply, like, like in the, and the many multiple insurance systems and things that we're talking about. So they're right, you know, they're informed and they're ready to like offer opinion. I think, and, and they have strengthened it. I think like, like I have, I have felt like I have sometimes failed in the process because like legislators, you know, they still reach out to certain folks and it's like trying to be that bridge and like not always succeeding, like, you know, trying to make sure there's always the right people at the table because people just get into habits and things move fast and I've done this and, you know, I'm trying to not do it, but like, um, it's, it's like, it falls apart, not because the community wasn't responsive. It falls apart because like I failed to forward the invite. So it's hard, but it's not, it's not, because, it's like not on the community side that, that, that there's that challenge. Um, and it's like, you know, so it's been imperfect again, not from the community side, but, um, I think it's also like, it's strengthened the process and in, in ways that like we couldn't have predicted. So like one specific example that came up is um, uh, we were working, so with, you know, uh, Raquel talked about the special enrollment period for pregnancy. So pregnancy is a qualifying life event. And so as like a policy nerd, I like went and read all the statutes I could find from the states that had done this and tried to draft like the most permissive option. And that most permissive option was pregnancy becomes a life change event. And then people can sign up either retro even at their option, either retrospectively to the month their pregnancy started or prospectively by paying their premium only for the next month. So that's how I drafted it. I was like, that's the best option. I'll draft it like that. Then we're in these negotiations with different stakeholders and, and like it's going on and on and it's like late and you get like thirsty and hungry and tired and like, and they just, you know, people are just like raising like thing after thing and, you're, and it's like, you know, can we give them something? And like, just like I got tired, you know? And so, and they were like, well, what if we don't make the special enrollment period retroactive? What if we only let people do it proactively? And so it's like, well, we have this steering committee that makes decisions about that. So it's like not our call. So, and like folks also like Raquel and and Raina have done such a good job and, and their teams have done such a good job, you know, managing communication with the steering committee, but they're like on the text Thread, like the, the two text threads are happening simultaneously and they're and they were just like wait no like why would we give up the retro coverage option it's in the bill it's a better option and so like you just have to then stay strong in the meeting and be like no I don't have we don't have permission to do that so like we just have to keep it the way it's drafted and so it strengthens the policy like it's only made the, the process and the outcome stronger I think yeah. Yeah. One thing I'd add to that too is there's always this tension between what it what the community needs and like what is politically feasible. And um folks on the podcast can't see this, but I'm doing it in quotes, right? Because that shifts so much. And sometimes, you know, something might be really challenging and you might or you might find the opposite, right? Where if you hold your line, um, they'll give in and allow you to do it the way you want to. And I think that's what also is so valuable about the process of community is that oftentimes people are, I think lobbyists and folks who are used to working with policy assume that, um, that community members aren't going to make the right decision. Right. And I think if you put all the information in their hands consistently and all the context and all the different moving pieces, 
they, they will make the right decision. Whatever decision they make is the right decision. And it, it also makes it easier to push for these big changes, right? Because we're pushing for expanding coverage for so many people and hoping to come back, right? And, and really capture everyone. And so in order to do that, you have to have community movement. In order to do that, you have to build trust uh, and a process that allows people to navigate that tension between what feels possible, what needs to be possible. And, and to have the community members directly at the front steering that ship and helping us try to figure out, okay, well, if we held our line here and we did not su- succeed, let's go back and work together to figure out what we need to do s- to succeed, right? Do we need more money? Do we need better public uh, media relations? You know, like what is the challenge? But putting all of that in the community's hands um, really pushes back, right? On these systems and and they were, they were truly not created to allow that kind of agency. I think the trust piece is so important because I can see, you know, people kind of hearing this and being like, yeah, this is great. And then like going and asking like a random group of 11 people that they have no relationship with to go make these decisions. And these are really hard decisions. Like these are really emotional decisions when you're talking, I mean, for any of us, but especially when you're talking about people who are hearing this and thinking about what's going to happen to their family if this coverage doesn't go through. And so, you know, you have to have that place where they trust they're getting information from you. They trust that you are trying to help them make the right decision. And if you haven't built that yet, I think it's going to be really difficult and you're going to get a lot of pushback because there's been hard decisions. And there's been times in these meetings where I'm like, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. And they're like, it's okay, Raina. Like we got the big thing. And I'm like, no, like it's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's just incredible to hear uh, that not only is this the, the process that led to such a strong policy, but that you've built such a strong relationship with this, the members of the steering committee that like, it also aids any future work that you could do together. Um, so I, I, I guess as we come to wrap up, I wonder if you could share a little bit about where you hope that, you know, the momentum that you've built in this steering committee goes. And especially now that you only have two big votes left, like what do you hope that uh, you continue to do this summer and then also during this legis- the upcoming legislative session as this one wraps up? Yeah, I can say for us, you know, we're really focusing on, um, you know, Bill of the Past that several groups worked on, you know, include Children's Campaign, Senate Bill uh, 2215 that is going to be rolling out coverage in this next open enrollment period um, for undocumented folks. And so really, you know, as Aaron said, the people who are on the steering committee know this policy inside and out and have a really deep understanding of health insurance and healthcare that I think most people don't. And so really hoping we can build on this momentum around this policy to get them excited and engaged in the process of trying to get folks enrolled as we start having these benefits open through the um, enterprise and the Colorado option. Yeah. Yeah. I think similarly that our, the, the coverage of our bill um, doesn't open up until 2025 and We've been really working with the steering committee. They're, you know, well aware of that, but thinking about what does implementation look like and how do we make sure that people know about this program and know, you know, when it's going into effect. And also in the meantime, if we're going to be having conversations with folks, like Raina said, we should also be engaging them in the enrollment for the Colorado option, which 
I believe opens up this fall. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any last thing before we wrap up? Well, I um, just want to say thank you for making the time. And more importantly, thank you for working on a policy that truly centers the people that are most impacted and moving with with integrity to not compromise that trust. Um, I can't wait to hear more about this and hopefully in season five. And um, thank you so much for all of you for being here. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The West Steps. The West Steps is a production of the Colorado Children's Campaign. If you want to support our work, please visit our website at coloradokids.org. And see you next week. Thank you.